Welcome to Why Wonders Why, a companion podcast to smart enough to know better. This episode is titled... Now I'm sure you've all heard of the term STEM. Science, technology, engineering and maths. But is there a place for arts in STEM? Can we generate some steam? For some people, they think of science and they think of the arts. And these two things must never meet. They must always be apart, non-overlapping magisteria, if you want to get very fancy with your terms. But this man, Dr. Sam Illingworth, does not believe this. He is the scientific poet and he is here to put everything right. Dr. Sam, hello. Well, Greg, that's quite the introduction you've given me. I've, I don't know if I'm quite up to the task of realigning two separate disciplines that have been distinct since Plato decided to kick one of them out of the Republic, but I'll try my best. <laughs> Look, we've got, we've got a couple of minutes. I'm sure we can just knock it out of the park now. I'm sure it's perfectly fine. So to start off, can you just give the, the audience, someone who don't know you, um, who is Dr. Sam Illingworth and uh, what's your background? Well, Dr. Sam Illingworth is absolutely someone who loves talking about themselves in the third person and (laughs) is a senior lecturer in science communication at the University of Western Australia, where I head up the science communication unit with my colleague, Dr. Heather Bray. And my research is really around using poetry and, and also games as a way to facilitate dialogue between scientists and non scientists. And in particular, working with those audiences that have maybe been underheard or underserved by more traditional science and science communication methods. So, yeah, my research and my work and my teaching and my practice are all around science communication and in particular using an arts based approach to try to, you know, engender dialogue. And as you were saying in the intro, you know, bring together science and the arts so that they're seen really as complementary disciplines through which to understand the world in which we live rather than mutually exclusive entities that must constantly be at war with one another. Mm. This seems, I'm going to put forward the idea though, in science though, they have journals, they have papers, they write their theses, they do research and then they publish it out into the world. Is that not enough for the average person? Do we, what, I mean, what, what, does, what does the arts have to offer beyond you know, writing good English, of course? Or whatever language you use. No, of course. I think part of the reason really is, you know, it's not necessarily the dissemination. It's the way in which that knowledge is constructed in the first instance. And certainly in many Western civilizations, there's a hegemony, there's a, you know, domination, if you will, that scientific thought is the only way and is the right way. Whereas actually there's many different ways of constructing knowledge and coming to understand the world and the way in which we live. And so it's not necessarily the way in which that science is communicated, but rather trying to understand that in doing that science in the first instance, in framing that science, in coming up with research questions, in even thinking about wanting to do those research questions we need to first of all work with other members of society to think about how it might impact them Mm -hmm. and then also think about the ways in which non-scientific knowledge non-scientific expertise can be used not just to empower science but also in 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 and of itself so I think you know the arts and poetry are fantastic ways of communicating science if we're thinking about maybe one way 
methods of dissemination, which there is absolutely a role for. But I think where the arts are really powerful is in enabling science to understand its own limitations Mm -hmm. and that it's really only a few pieces of a much wider jigsaw. So it's a way of accessing human knowledge or human thought that we just haven't been using since the, the Enlightenment, basically, or we've been pushing to the side at the very least due to that science. I mean, let's face it, science has done pretty well. I mean, we're using, we're doing a lot of amazing stuff right now. I'm talking to you from around the world, thanks to science. I don't have to come and join you uh, where you are. But, but there's more to it than that, obviously. There's something there's else, there's other things we could be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously science has done a lot of good. Science also has a lot to answer for as well. <laughs> but I think one of the dangers is that science, to some extent, is can be very exclusive and exclusionary and you know it's very much this is the way that we do things and these are the people who are allowed into our club and you know since the enlightenment people have and before and and during people have been thinking about the construction of knowledge in different ways Mm -hmm. none of which is any less or any more valid than science and you know i'm coming from this as a physicist by training my phd is in atmospheric physics but really this idea that science is a small part of a picture and it's enabled us to do some fantastic things but we really need to maybe address the power that it has and also how we can create opportunities so that more people can be involved in science in a meaningful way not just through dialogue but also through participation and the development of research governance and knowledge okay well then let's get on that path then what can be done then to let people participate in science but not using science i guess what 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 sort of why does poetry come into this why is why is the arts the way of looking at this that's a really good question so a a lot of my work and the work of others as well is you know bringing together scientists and non-scientists to create research knowledge to participate and to tap into that expertise and lived experience that non-scientists have. Just because they're not scientists doesn't mean they're not experts. Mm -hmm. But when we're working with non-scientists, and, you know, no matter what that might be, let's say we're looking at air pollution in a local region, Mm -hmm. it's really important to work with non-scientists in that region, not just because doing so grants agency for any mitigation strategies, but also they've got loads of knowledge and expertise and They've lived there for a combined you know, hundreds of years or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when we bring together scientists and non-scientists, we often have established what I call hierarchies of intellect. So this idea that all, all of a sudden there's someone in the room with five letters after their name and they went to a university that I've never heard of and aren't they terribly intelligent? And that maybe makes the flow of information and then the participation that can lead from that somewhat stymied. So what poetry does, and other art forms as well, but I'll speak to poetry because that's where I'm an expert. What poetry does is it it levels these hierarchies uh, for three reasons. One, it gives permission to the non-scientists to share. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be taken upon being wrong, in inverted Mm -hmm. commas, on a poem. Two, it gives permission to the scientists to display an element of pathos that they're not normally allowed to to display. Mm -hmm. And that really helps to build the bridges between science and society. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, it creates a sense of shared vulnerability. So this idea that if you're creating poetry together and it's for all aesthetic intents and purposes not very good or a bit silly, 
then you know it's kind of oh well we're all part of this community together so you know poetry is is a really powerful way of enabling meaningful dialogue to take place mm. which is the first step towards meaningful participation i love the idea of pathos and of leveling as in yes obviously if you have someone who is an expert in climate change let's say and that's what they've done their phd on they're probably going to know more than myself but I can still have something to the, from my lived experience that I can offer, even if it's just my emotional take on what's going on. And if I can have a dialogue through poetry, we can meet in a, on a common ground of let's write a, a haiku, <laughs> let's write a poem together then about this thing and then talk about it. That expert can give me expert knowledge and I can actually explain my point of view, you know, what's, what's bad and what's good about what's going on around me. You know, how, what do I fear? What do I look forward to in a way that I won't be judged? So I think it's quite, that's quite moving. No, absolutely. And, you know, and, and these workshops and the sessions that come from, it can be quite moving. And I think it, it helps to humanize the problems as well. I mean, climate change is a great example. It's, it's very easy sometimes for scientists to talk about numbers and statistics and, not not to lose sight of the human element, but to to not really be giving the headspace to connect with it at an emotional level as well. And mm. poetry is a, a really great way that enables them to do that. Hmm. In what way can we introduce more arts into our science? How do we create steam? Basically, that, okay. that... <laughs> that's a very good question. So, one initiative um, that that I've been involved in setting up is um, a science and poetry journal called Consilience. And it's the world's first peer-reviewed poetry journal. So, <laughs> hang on a minute. What? Yeah. So poetry. So this is the cool thing about different disciplines, right? Each of them bring their own issues, but also their own potential solutions as well. And you know, you might not necessarily agree with peer review, but it's a great way of not just assume, not just like guaranteeing academic rigor but actually helping the 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 writer to develop their work if if it's done constructively whereas normally when you submit to a poetry journal you submit a poem and it's either accepted or rejected Mm. as is Mm. you know it's either perfect or it's completely wrong Mm. which just seems very strange so what what we've done is we've created this space in which we we accept all submissions up to a certain amount per month because we're only well we're quite a large team but still limited and we say, right, as long as it's related somehow to science and it matches the theme of the issue, uh, then we, we're not interested in the subjective aesthetic quality of the pen. Mm-hmm. And we want to work with you and our editors in helping to develop the piece. And I think that's a really powerful way of creating a space in which people can experiment, in which we can welcome established poets, but new voices as well, and create you know, really a a laboratory for people to explore the liminal spaces between science and poetry in in a safe and um, supportive environment. That sounds wonderful. Have you, uh, how long has it been running for? So we started um, at the beginning, earlier this year. Oh, right. We've got two issues published now. It's like quarterly. We have 40 volunteers from six continents, just wow. missing Antarctica now. Um, <laughs> All those lazy penguins. <laughs> Too many lazy penguins. <laughs> and we've, uh, you know, we, 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 our third issue uh, will be announced very shortly. The first one was about K 
connectivity. The second one was about uncertainty. And then the third one will be announced. Um, but the idea is for us to work quarterly and, and also, you know, not just to provide a space for poets, but if people want to review, if people want to edit, they're really welcome to join. Like, you know, there's, we have a, a Slack channel, we have a Facebook group. We just want to create a space where people feel supportive and that their voices can be heard as well. What do you expect to get out of it? Or is there a goal at the end or is it, is it an ongoing experiment that you're just trying to see what comes for it? Or mm. what would you hope, let's say in five years time, if it's still going strong, what do you want to look back and say, this, it achieved this goal? For the journal? Yes, the journal. Um, sorry, yes, journal. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think, I think it would be great if we are able to basically look back on five years of success. And I would, I would classify success as creating a platform to give confidence to new writers and to and also for scientists to think about their work in different ways Mm. and for writers to think about their ways in different ways if we're able to look back and look at meaningful collaborations that have come across from it or you know if we're able to look back and say okay because of consilience i had the confidence to go and do this then that would be fantastic yeah so that's what i guess i'd measure success as are you looking for artists who want to talk about science or do you after scientists who want to write in an artistic manner or have, have I missed the point entirely here no 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 I think it's both really you know it's we're, lo- we're looking at for people who just want to explore these liminal spaces between sciences and the arts we also have a visual art section called conciliart that's run by my colleague uh, Dr Louise Arnold and that's also provides a space for people to explore that so we, we try to be as inclusive as possible and I think you know one of the bigger loftier out you know I guess outcomes of the project would be to help to diversify science Mm. and for people to realize that you know science isn't necessarily just this thing and to like I say bring bring together these meaningful collaborations as well I I do have to ask I I have to I'm I'm gonna drill in now right on you and everything you do uh Dr Sam is it possible to actually use science to research the science of the arts, if that makes sense. If you're using, if, if science is a limited thing in this case, and you're saying we have to go outside it, can we actually use scientific rigor to investigate this, or do we have to do something else? I think that's a really good question, and I think there's many different ways that we can tackle it. Right, like this isn't me sitting on the fence. This is a gen- genuine <laughs> way, and I guess it would depend to some extent on your, you know, epistemological and ontological viewpoints. You know, so like what you think what you think the world's constructed of and how you think we understand that knowledge. Mm. But I would say that there's maybe a danger sometimes that we try to approach everything with a slightly, you know, positivist or empiricist mindset that Mm -hmm. here's a control group, here's an experimental group. Whereas actually sometimes as long as we, as long as we apply rigor, acknowledging that that's different according to different disciplines and we don't try to, I guess, oversell what we're doing mm-hmm. i think that it's perfectly feasible to have you know different methodologies to look at these different areas of, of science or the arts or mm-hmm. of combination of the two would it be fair to say this is uh, i feel like i'm about to say something very dangerous but i'm gonna say it anyway is this art with a point even as i say that i know that feels wrong i know it feels wrong but it's it's i know what i'm trying to say but it's is this because you can just create art i mean i do it myself i just draw or paint or i do write and it's just for me i'm not doing it for any it's just art for art's sake there's no outcome is this directed art well yeah i I guess 
I know what you mean by that comment. I think <laughs> I think the fact that art even exists is, in and of itself is an amazing thing. Even if you just create it for yourself, that artwork mm. then exists as, as its own object, which is pretty cool. Mm. I think that we're not necessarily trying to create a hierarchy in terms of we're using art to tell us about science or we're using science to tell us about art. Mm. But rather what we're doing is it's kind of a melting pot of, of commonalities mm, mm. and certainly moving away from this idea that the scientist does the science the poet does the poem and instead it's like actually poets have got loads of research expertise and knowledge to bring towards the development of science and loads of scientists are actually super creative that can help in that process as well mm. so you know ideally what would be great is that we move away from these pigeonholes of i'm a scientist <laughs> i'm a i'm a poet and just mm. I'm a human being with limitless potential that chooses to do some of these cool things. I think there's no better way of ending this interview with that last statement, Dr. Sam. (laughs) Everything I say now will just sound ridiculous and small. So thank you very much uh, for your time. If people are looking to uh, talk to you or to get in contact or to learn about your work, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks, Greg. Um, So people are really welcome to follow me on Twitter. I'm just at Sam Illingworth or via my website, www.samillingworth.com, where you can find the link to all of my other work. And you might want to also check out my podcast, which is called The Poetry of Science and which is also available in all good podcast directories. And I can I have actually listened to uh, some of the Poetry of Science and I do recommend it. So people should definitely go and check that out. So, Dr. Sam, thank you for your time today, and uh, I, I will write much prose in your honour. Thanks, Greg. It would be remiss of me to end a podcast about science and poetry without, of course, talking a little bit about poetry. And if you're going to talk about poetry, we need the people's poet himself. I speak, of course, of Danthony. J. 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 Beeston. D'Anthony, hello. Hello. Hello, Gregoire. It's a great privilege for you to have me on your podcast. It's true. No, thank you. Thank you. Uh, of course, those who don't know D'Anthony, he is my <laughs> usual... Sorry, is that not right? Sorry, Dantholomew. <laughs> Dantholomew. I'm sorry. Yes, right. <laughs> Dantanion? Is it Dantanion? J. 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 What is now? <laughs> Science and poetry. Now, you have heard the interview. What's your take on science and poetry? I I think it's a great idea. I love the point being made about how just because you specialise in one thing doesn't mean that you can't work with something else. The people who are experts in stuff, if they get together, they're going to make something even more special. It's like fusion cooking, Mm. but with proficiencies <laughs> so sometimes in the intellectual fields academic fields i should say someone says oh i'm a professor of of this field and therefore i will expound yes on a totally different field and you're like oh don't do that that seems a bit weird like i'm gonna make a comment about this other thing but as because you're coming in as an expert but if you come in with poetry and you make your point known or another sort of artistic form you're not saying i am an expert of the field you're saying i have something to say so it levels the the the, the playing field for everyone. Yeah. Kind of thing. You, can, you can all contribute. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to write a poem about molecular biology. I'm not saying I'm the world's greatest molecular biologist. I'm just saying, here's my thoughts. And here's my it's feelings. Like the company softball team. You might be from accounting. You might be the CEO. You might be from the 
from down in the mail department, but we're all going to work on this team playing softball and the softball team will be okay. <laughs> but it's more than that, okay, it's got, it's got something to say as well. But we thought we would actually get some poetry into this podcast. I'm going to go first and read out the poem I wrote for a conference, strangely enough, about science communication and the arts. Which kind of led to this interview, by the way. And uh, look, and Sam Ellingworth was actually there. This, this whole thing's a scam. This whole podcast is a scam, by the way. So that's how I knew Sam Ellingworth. Anyway. <sighs> that, that's not a scam. That's just how society works. Society's a scam, Dan. <laughs> human beings interacting for be- for their mutual benefit. Well, this is ridiculous. This is making the- this is making things too easy, <laughs> says Craig Berman. I like to play my life on hard mode. Everyone else is cheating. <laughs> so here's my poem. So it's called The Comet. White tail, frozen sky. In the north, new wisdom shines. It slashes the dark. Very evocative. Thank you. Ooh, ooh I, I feel something. I did not like it. <laughs> and we've done haikus before on the podcast. We, we had a whole competition of haikus. People said in the haikus... Was it limericks? Oh, was it limericks? There you go. Fair enough. Look, I, they're, they're indistinguishable from they're each very, other. They're very, very much the same form. Very, very the, haiku the, and ancient, your limerick. the ancient Japanese limerick. There once was a man from Kyoto. Perfectly delivered. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, what's a Japanese city? I can't get a Japanese city. <laughs> I, I was trying to figure out what's a what's a what's what's a busty woman? It's like a milkmaid? There once was a milkmaid, now there's too many syllables. <laughs> And it seems that we're not the only ones to write poetry or be involved in the arts. Strangely enough, one of our writing partners for all the plays that we write, she's also good at the arts. So who would have thought? So Natalie Behensky from the Raven Bond podcast. But she actually also wrote a poem. Now, I didn't even know about this. It was hidden away. She wrote it and threw it into the wild. And the world ignored it, Dan. They ignored it. I was telling to her about what we're going to talk about here. And she said, well, I've written a poem. So I asked her to record it. And here it is. "'Twas off the planet Venus, in clouds they found phosphine, yes. A pungent gas with microbe mass, is this a brand new genus? So thank you to Natalie for writing that and sending it into the podcast. What do you think, Dan? She's clever as. That's pretty clever. That's very good. It's just that it's lovely little, a lovely little package of intellect. I like that mm-hmm. one as well. I think she felt moved enough to talk about the potential of life or indicators of life being found in the atmosphere of venus something that people have to look at but she actually decided to write a poem about it which i think is pretty cool i too have written a poem oh an epic <laughs> recited from memories settle in ladies and gentlemen so, still being written dan tanyon jjj beeston please regale us with your with your poetry <clears throat> The cradle of humanity, the children that we were. We'd cast our visions upwards to the moon and its chauffeur. The crescent of Selene across the firmament of black. The silver rays that struck an earth unquestionably flat. (laughs) We learned as metaphorically our night turned into day. In every measurement we made, the stars got far away. The sun, it was gargantuan, its surface filled with wrath. A stellar observation made with boring stuff like math. (laughs) The thinkers needed proof and not just idle inspiration. 
our supposition must sustain robust examination. We lined up all our lenses and we targeted our dish. The thinkers told the artist, pick a star on which to wish. The universe a tapestry of pinpricks through the veil, or Helios and mighty steeds compelled with righteous flail. We sent our robots skyward, and they answered to our calls. They told us what I always knew, that space, Gregoire, is balls. <laughs> you should be clicking your fingers, oh, shouldn't sorry. you? That, that's how that works? That's a real poem. Good Lord. Yeah, proper poem, kind that's of. A, that's a proper real poem about space and things. And testicles. And te- well, space is balls, as it, most things are round. Yeah. Right? Get to certain maths. Most things around. Thank you, Dan. Very welcome. You said let's do poems for the thing, and I'm like, all right, I'll write, I'll write a poem. I even, I even ditched a, a stanza because it didn't fit. It wasn't right. You edited it. You I know. edited it. I did. That's, oh gosh, I did proper poetry. That's it. That's it. You, you did. Wore a beret and everything. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have had a lot of fun today with the with the poems that we've done, and also talking to Dr. Sam Illingworth. If you're interested in doing something like this, maybe have a look at the Consilience Journal. I had to look up, he used so many big words, and I <laughs> I had <laughs> to look up the meaning of Consilience. I, I pretended, you may pick up in the in the podcast, I, had, I was like, oh, oh, yes, I didn't know what actually it meant. <clears throat> but it's the agreement between the approaches to a topic of different academic studies, especially science and the humanities. It's the perfect name for a journal of poetry about science. Made up. All words are made up, to quote Thor from, from the last Avengers movie. All words are made up, Dan. Fine. <laughs> Point to you. <laughs> and the mighty Thor. So, yes, if you're interested, have a look at the Consilience Journal, and we'll make sure that our poems are found in the note- show notes as well. If you have an exciting science poem, send it to the podcast. We'd love to read it out. Unless it has lots of really rude words, and then Dan would really like to read it out. I think you're being the, the bravest person going here. We'll, we'll read them out. We'll read them out. What if they're rubbish? But then we can mock them. Are they paying? <laughs> Thank you, Dan Tanya and JJJ Beeston. I've appreciated your time today. And we'll see you, ladies and gentlemen, for the next podcast. Bye. You want to say bye, Dan? Bye. We've warmed up, we've limbered up. Now for the podcast. Humana, 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 humana.